Hello and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Will Millership, Communications and Events Officer for the Scottish AI Alliance, and today we'll be discussing the SCDI Climate Tech Report. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to Jeremy Darrow, Scottish Government's Head of AI, who will introduce the panel of speakers. Over to you, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Will. Um, it's a pleasure to be hosting this discussion. Uh, this is such an important uh, topic, both very challenging, but also very exciting. Um, and I found the report by the Scottish Council for Development and Industry um, to be very insightful and very timely as we approach COP26. So I, I, mean, I would say that tackling the climate emergency is, is very much at the core of the Scottish government's agenda, including this year's programme for government, um, which was published last week on uh, Fair Green of Scotland. Um, we have set ambitious targets for net zero, and this is also reflected in our cooperation agreement with the Scottish Green Party Parliamentary Group. And climate also features in Scotland's AI strategy, which we published in the spring. And one of our strategies action is to build upon the, the success of our AI climate emergency challenge, which we ran last year and which one uh, which one of our panelists was actually involved in. So I really look forward to uh, to our chat. Um, so we're lucky to have a, a great panel today. First, we have David Kelly, who is policy manager at SEDI. We also have Professor Marion Scott, who is professor of environmental statistics at the University of Glasgow and a member of the Scottish AI Alliance Leadership Circle. And last but not least, uh, we have Professor Ed Mitchard, who is Professor of Global Change Mapping at the University of Edinburgh and the co-founder of Space Intelligence, which is an Edinburgh-based startup which uses AI to enable nature-based solutions to climate change. So perhaps, David, to get us started, could you please give us a little bit of background about the report, why it was undertaken and uh, maybe some of the key takeaways from your point of view? Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy. Um... So the report was published in June um, and it was the result of a partnership uh, between SCDI and BT, Scotland is and the Royal Society of Edinburgh and was actually the fifth in a series of reports that we've done um, through that partnership, including our Automatic for the People report, which um, of course led eventually to the, the AI strategy. Um, and, and really it was the result of a kind of intensive evidence build um, in the first half of the year um, talking to as many founders, innovators, academics and experts as possible about digital technologies, including AI and their applications um, to support and enable climate action. And I suppose there were three key reasons for, for you know, why this report um, and why at this particular time. Um, first of all, as you've touched on the kind of urgency of the, the climate crisis um, coming into focus with the recent IPCC reports and with COP26 in Glasgow, um, the, you know, the code red that's been signalled for humanity and kind of really understanding that it is an emergency situation that we need to, to respond to. Secondly, um, that we understand that innovation is going to be critical to help us get to, to global net zero, not just in Scotland, but around the world. Um, so the International Energy Agency have estimated that around 75% of emissions reductions that we'll need to get to global net zero are dependent on technologies that either don't exist yet um, or don't exist um, at kind of commercially mature um, or deployed kind of scale. Um, so that means we really need to accelerate um, as we 
um, develop new technologies and how we deploy them. And the third thing that's really important for us at SCGI as well is to try and recognise the economic opportunities of the transition to net zero um, and developing these new technologies. Um, climate tech is a huge global market with huge growth potential, particularly for Scotland, given our natural resources, um, world-class colleges and universities, and the skills of our people, the growing kind of tech ecosystem that we do have here in Scotland. Um, so we want to kind of capture as much benefit for that um, for Scotland as possible in terms of jobs, productivity, exports, etc. Um, so in terms of takeaways, kind of uh, ideas and recommendations from the report, we identified seven key challenges for the climate tech sector in Scotland um, that you can read more about in the report. Um, but some of them were around the startup funding gap for early stage innovators, um, the kind of infamous valley of, of death for for um, startups as they go through that process of trying to, to scale up, um, as well as green and digital skills gaps. So the kind of carbon literacy and digital literacy of the workforce um, so that startups in Scotland have the right access to the right skills that they need and that they don't need to move, I suppose, to, to other countries or other locations to access that talent. Um, another example of a challenge we identified was around innovation models. So trying to move from um, push models of innovation where ideas are kind of pumped out from spin outs or, or startups um, towards industry um, to try and sort of find demand um, to a push model of innovation where um, technological solutions are co-designed um, almost in that kind of spirit of, of CivTech um, that of course has been successful in Scotland um, between innovators and industry um, to identify net zero problems and solutions um, in partnership at the same time. So there are 10 recommendations in the report responding to those um, seven challenges, um, particularly focused on a climate tech moonshot, which is really our way of expressing the hope for a national innovation mission around making Scotland the leading innovator and exporter for climate tech and setting ambitious targets um, for how we might do that. Um, so those are some of the, the key kind of ideas from the report. I'm happy to um, talk about them a bit more with Marion and Ed. Thanks, David. That was that was a pretty helpful sort of summary. Um, and I thought that I really thought the, the report was very good and that it was taking a really a systems view of of um, of this issue because because AI, of course, is very cross cutting and, and climate is very cross cutting as well. And and I thought I also really like the ambition of, of the recommendations. Um, so great note, thank you for that. Um, I suppose to follow up and perhaps as, as a starting point, um, if you could perhaps tell us a little bit more uh, about some of the ways that AI is already being used in, in Scotland to tackle tackle climate issues, because I know you've looked at this as, as part of the, the research and then perhaps after that we can open up to the, to the other panelists. Sure. Um, so obviously Space Intelligence and Ed are, are a great example of that um, and we're one of our 14 case studies um, within our report. So um, we tried to showcase and profile um, as many kind of innovative Scottish based startups as we could in the report um, to give a sense of the, the kind of growing ecosystem um, of climate tech businesses um, that are in Scotland already. Um, and a number of them, as you say, are using AI or related technologies um, to to deal with some of the, the challenges um, in key sectors of the Scottish economy. Um, 
so for example, um, Integrated Environmental Solutions um, are a Scottish headquartered firm that's beginning to grow um, across the world and they're using a mix of AI and operational data as well as building simulations to um, really transform data gathered from buildings um, into useful, actionable intelligence about how to decarbonise those buildings. So action around energy efficiency, around design and architecture, um, and that's something that's been used widely across Scotland, but also around the world. Um, so that's obviously going to be a key challenge in getting to net zero is how do we decarbonise both domestic and non-domestic buildings um, and using AI in that process um, has helped them to, to help lots of businesses um, to do that. Um, another example um, is IntelliDigest, an Edinburgh-based startup who are using AI, amongst other things, to look at food waste and how to prevent um, food waste in the first place, but also how to um, kind of recover chemicals and nutrients that could be used or recycled into the food process um, from both edible and inedible food waste. Um, so I suppose the key takeaway there is really the diversity of different ways in which AI is being used in different sectors um, for all sorts of different purposes from um, you know, ending um, the carbon emissions from buildings to um, creating a kind of circular zero waste economy. Thanks, David. And yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree in terms of the the breadth of of um, of initiatives and and industries that 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 can contribute to, the, to this challenge. I remember a couple of years ago when we launched that that um, uh, AI challenge to tackle the, the climate emergency. We really wanted to to try and get a feel for how much was that there, and we got a huge response. I think we we had over forty applicants, and we took six including a couple of, of those you mentioned during the first phase. So I was really impressed by all the all the good work that, that's already going on. Um, I don't know, Ed, if you would like to elaborate a little bit on, on what your company does in that regard. Yes, sure. So uh, as David has said, in general, there's a very wide range of applications you can apply AI to. Uh, AI is a set of tools and you need to take it normally to, to very big data sets to solve a problem. Um, so at Space Intelligence, we apply AI tools to, to satellite data sets, as the name suggests. Um, so a case that was highlighted in the report was a project we did for Scottish government, specifically uh, Nature Scott, to try and map Scotland's habitats um, to help with nature-based solutions planning. So in Scotland, nature-based solutions normally means restoring forest or restoring peat bogs that have been damaged. Um, but to do that, you need to know where they are and how the landscape is changing. Um, so we analyzed uh, different types of satellite data across Scotland uh, to produce a, a 22 class map for 2019 and 2020 and we've made that data free and open so anyone in uh, Scotland interested in restoration can can grab those data sets and use them um, but in general in uh, my research at the university and with the company it's about using the expertise we already have in Scotland often from people we've brought here um, I live and work in Edinburgh it's a great place to attract people to work. It's the uh, trying to become the data capital of, of Europe and space data capital we've been talking about here as well and trying to build a full chain of space industries using AI. Um, and it's all about bringing smart people together to try and use satellite data to solve environmental problems. So find out where forest is being lost and where and what we should do to restore it. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, no, I, I thought that there's really um amazing work that, that you've done with, with Nature Scott and uh, it's been quite interesting to just also 
for, for myself to just understand a little bit more about about Scotland and what it looks like from uh, from space. So, you know, really, really great stuff. Um, I mean, excellent. So I think we've talked a little bit about where where we've, you know, where we've come to uh, so far. Uh, so perhaps this is a good time to open the discussion a little bit about what more could be done within Scotland's tech and AI industry to, to tackle this, this challenge going forward. Um, so I don't know who would like to uh, to go first to offer their thoughts to start with. Well, I guess that I, I could maybe chip in here. Um, I suppose the report does flag up where some of the kind of gaps and challenges um, remain, whether they're um, shorter term or longer term. Um, but I guess, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, sitting in the university, one of the, the gaps that's identified is very much about the skills gap. Um, and that's, I think, across many pieces um, in terms of the digital strategy, the AI strategy, um, you know, the SCDI report, it's flagging up that um, there are significant gaps in terms of finding and attracting and keeping um, uh, smart people working in this space. Uh, and there's there's never there's never enough of them. I think is, is our experience in terms of um, you know looking for for people for particular posts and so on or for particular projects. So I I think that the the skills gap is one which is uh, I, I think in some senses possibly slightly easier than many others because in a way with a willingness we're saying that um, you know we we can offer diverse forms of different training and experiences all the way from even primary school upwards um, and sitting here as well thinking about STEM um, and thinking about the you know the different pushes and pulls that we have about attracting people into STEM which you know science technology engineering and mathematics it's finding ways <clears throat> I think of explaining that um, Sometimes what we talk about can seem a little bit abstract, but actually it's something which is really important um, to everyone. Uh, and I was really glad that Ed touched on Nature Scott or mentioned Nature Scott because um, one of the things um, I suppose I feel is we talk a great deal about the climate emergency, but in actual fact, there's probably also uh, a nature emergency, which is equally important. And although we are having COP26 in Glasgow um, this year, there's also an equivalent, if you like, kind of parallel series of meetings and events which are looking at biodiversity. Um, and I think, again, that, you know, climate tech in its broadest sense, AI, machine learning and all of the different sorts of tools can really help us tackle that related but equally pressing um, problem which we have. So um, I think, you know, the, there's a, a, a tremendous potential here. Um, and and I, I felt in the report that the case studies were particularly telling in, in the sense of the diversity of where um, tech, whether it's AI or any other sort of tech, is being used because the landscape of the climate emergency and the nature, the natural emergency or the, if you want to call it that, is really very broad and it touches all aspects of our lives because you know, David mentioned buildings, um, transport, food waste, the circular economy, etc etc so it's 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 kind of pervasive everywhere and so the having a population um who have the skills to understand and interact with some of this tech and not be scared 
required because we quite often see um, headlines you know, on web pages or in the press about challenges that AI is confronting in terms of bias and so on and, and these and the worry that that presents to, to lots of people. It's thinking about how we can um, encourage people to think about a trusted tech sector, um, a trusted set of tools, a trusted set of technology which is actually working for us both as an individual citizen but also as, as a nation. Thanks, Mai. And you know, I think it's 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 really important, as you say, to to, to, to trust, and that's very much at the at the centre of um, of Cotton's AI strategy. This this idea of a trustworthy uh, AI and something you know that characterises how we want to do AI in Scotland. So, no thanks, thanks for that. Um, I mean, in terms of sort of other. Example of what what more could be done. I don't know, David. If if you have anything you'd like to add to this, yeah. I guess first of all, just building on what Mayan said to the point around diversity. One of the the seven challenges that we identified was around the lack of diversity in the tech sector more broadly, and I think that kind of raises a a question about how, as you say, how trustworthy and how effective um, some of the solutions we kind of design are going to be if. Um, we're not kind of drawing on a really diverse talent pool to to develop those ideas. So, one of our recommendations is around um, how do we kind of increase um, the the representation of different um, currently underrepresented groups, um, particularly in leadership, but also in the workforce more generally in the sector. Um, and at SCDI, we run a Young Engineers and Science Clubs program at the moment, um, which is kind of fun, um, focused particularly on trying to increase diversity within the STEM sector and to really inspire the next generation of, of scientists, engineers and innovators who are going to be working in this space. Um, and I suppose more broadly, we are keen that um, we kind of keep that focus on nurturing the, the full ecosystem um, of, of climate tech. Um, and we think that's one of the kind of missing pieces at the moment. So there is maybe um, quite a lot of support in, in different places um, for businesses and organisations in Scotland from a whole wide range of different sources, um, both public um, and third sector and even private sector. Um, but the question is, I suppose, making that coherent and integrated um, that, so that's easy to navigate and that it really um, punches above its weight. Um, I think at the moment, a lot of, of feedback from companies is that the landscape is quite cluttered or confusing, difficult to navigate um, for some, particularly at the early stages of, of develop, development. Um, and a piece of feedback that kind of flows through the case studies of the report um, is the benefits that, that many founders would find in particular um, from more opportunities to cross-pollinate, more opportunities to network with, with others in their sector, to form partnerships. Um, so one of our recommendations is around creating a new organisation to, to try to manage and grow an accelerator around climate tech and a cluster around climate tech. So really building on some of the ideas in the Logan review, um, particularly around the, the five tech scalers in Scotland, could one of those tech scalers be focused specifically on climate tech um, and really um, trying to, to broaden the diversity of, of startups um, in this space focused on trying to replicate some of the successes of the FinTech Scotland model. So in financial services, FinTech has been really successful in, in developing innovation and Scotland's got real strength there. You know, why can't we do the same for climate tech? Can I just follow up on that? Yeah, so Scotland has um, incredible strength in its universities, in 
mostly by coincidence, I suppose, in kind of AI and information technology more generally, and in environmental services and space and climate. And um, I suppose space intelligence uh, benefited hugely from its close association with the, the university. Various of our employees came from there, and it's a, a kind of dynamic between the two in Edinburgh that seems very uh, beneficial for, for other startups as well. I suppose fintech grew partly in Edinburgh and well, partly in Scotland due to the large number of uh, big financial companies that exist here. But it seems that yeah, climate tech could really take advantage of the university sector and and grow from that. But yeah, David's suggestions of incubators, I think, would have been helpful for us. Uh, we benefited from the, the Geovation incubator run by the Registers of Scotland and Ordnance Survey, and that was hugely valuable in our kind of first year in getting us through that initial phase, through providing training and, and office space for us. Um, on the diversity point, again, I think we've benefited. Um, so we have the majority of our eight employees are female, and they come from a, a number of countries, and almost all of them were attracted to, to Scotland as a place to, to live and work. And um, yes, I think if you can encourage diverse teams, they can be uh, very effective in uh, delivering the things you need for your clients. But we need to, to carry on working on that and bringing bright people to Scotland as well as training people in Scotland. Definitely, no. Thanks, Ed, for the insight from a from a sort of a lived experience of, uh, of of what it is to uh, to grow within uh, within this ecosystem. And couldn't agree with you more on on the, all the all the progress that remains to be made in terms of diversity and also all, all the strengths that we can we can already draw upon to to help make this happen. Um, I suppose. Just thinking of the, the the bigger picture as well, one of the things that that we've been uh, working on uh, as Scottish government is investing on the Data for Children collaborative with with UNICEF, which uh, published recently uh, a report that showed that more than a billion children are, are at risk of uh, acute risk of uh, of climate change. So I think making most of the ecosystem that we have, the connections, the universities. Also, you know, looking internationally, I know that uh, the CIFTEC Alliance, which um, which we we found in Scotland, is organising a uh, a global scale up program with partners in in other countries around COP26. So again, um, I think we've got a lot of assets in Scotland, and other countries and other international partners are are noticing and listening and and keen to uh, to collaborate. Um, so just going back to, to the report, I think this is also talk about making Scotland into uh, a living lab. And I, I was wondering, uh, perhaps, Marianne, if you could explain a little bit what that could mean. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting, if you like, concept uh, in the sense of, I mean, for me, I suppose innovation and new tech, um, it has quite a, it has quite a, often quite a long development time before it reaches us kind of scalable, um, if you like, application. Um, and I think in my thinking about living labs, you know, for instance, might be to take, you know, a district, um, a, a region, and actually, you know, use that as um, an actual demonstrator um, where you can actually go and we can bring, you can invite people, people can come and learn, people can come and contribute, people can come and evaluate how one piece of tech compares to another piece of tech. Um, but I think the other thing that we we probably, because we use the word technology, I wonder if it's also worth kind of turning it around a little bit in its head. Um, because in some senses, a lot of the technology that we might be envisaging 
Um, it's going to be individuals who are using them. So we need to also think about the kind of human side of the technology and how it's developed and implemented and used. Um, and that's again where I think the living lab comes in because often, you know, we talk about Scotland being of a scale where we're pretty small geographically. Um, you know, our total population is probably less than the population in some of the mega cities around the world. Um, Every, well, not quite everybody knows everybody, but, you know, the contact uh, connection chain is really quite short. So I think we have a, a tremendous opportunity, you know, to, to work in smaller groups and then scale that out into something which is meaningful at a kind of global level. Um, that's what I think about living labs. And as I said, I think they're always we always need to remember about the kind of push and pull in the sense of we're not just talking about you know, hard engineered solutions. We're also talking about people based solutions. And in my context, also because I'm really interested in the environment, we're talking about nature based solutions. So when we bring all of that together, um, it's really good to have an opportunity to design, I shudder to call them experiments, but to design interventions where we can actually go and observe and interact and understand um, what the impacts are and what perhaps some of the unexpected um, developments are, or if you like, unintended consequences actually are. So that's to me the benefit of the living lab idea and partly why I think Scotland is probably very well suited to be a living lab with the right scale and size. Thanks, Mary. And um, I don't know, David, Ed, if you wanted to, uh, to follow up on this. No, I'd absolutely agree. And I suppose just to to add to that as well, we we looked in the report about opportunities to increase open data sharing and um, to to look at other opportunities around transforming procurement in the public sector and how that can really kind of open up um, both data and um, opportunities for domestic based firms to to grow. Um, so it is really kind of building on that idea, as Marion says, of of demonstrations, of of test beds, of trying to pick neighbourhoods or towns or cities that can um, kind of really be exemplars um, and learn from from that experience um, to kind of try to quickly replicate it in other places. Um, and I think there'll be a value in that, not just um, for us trying to replicate that across Scotland, but also um, an interest in that internationally. Um, and, you know, COP26, um, there's a run up to COP26, but there also hopefully will be a kind of legacy. Um, so there's an opportunity for Scotland in that shop window. Um, there aren't many kind of bigger shop windows um, in the world for, for Scotland to be in um, to really try and make the most of that and, and show that, you know, we can do it here. Um, and if you tap into kind of the expertise of, of our innovators and our startups, um, then we can help you do it too, um, no matter what country you're in. Great, thanks. Thanks, David. Um... I think I think we're actually coming to the end of our a lot of time. I know this is such a big topic. I wish we had we had a little bit more time to to discuss this, but I suppose we could we could spend the whole day on this. Uh, so I just want to say a huge thank you, David, Marion, and, and Ed, and also to the Data Lab for organizing this discussion. Um, Gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to sum this up. Um, but I just want to say thank you for for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and perhaps I'll actually let David say a few words to conclude, as you'll probably be better placed than me. Sure, thanks, Jeremy. Um, 
yeah, I guess we we really appreciate this opportunity to talk about the the report and um, really pleased with the reception it's had. Um, and I guess our kind of two key key messages are obviously firstly around the the scale of the technological challenge for for humankind that this is going to be the kind of greatest innovation challenge we've ever had trying to get to global net zero, but also the scale of the economic opportunity that I think we've discussed for Scotland and to really keep our eyes on that prize um, as we go forward because it's a really exciting opportunity um, for Scotland as much as the climate and nature emergencies are intimidating challenges um, there are lots of economic opportunities along the way to try and deliver a just transition that increases our prosperity um, as well as our sustainability at the same time. But thanks very much Jeremy. Thanks everyone. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having us.